Well, good morning. Welcome to Zion Lutheran Church on this beautiful Sunday morning, the 25th Sunday after Pentecost. few things to share with you before we begin our worship. Uh, just a reminder that our food drive will continue until next Sunday. So if you haven't had the opportunity to bring anything in, please make sure you do that this week or next Sunday. Also next Sunday will be our community Thanksgiving service here at Zion at 7 o'clock. You are invited and we'd love to see you there. Also a reminder that poinsettia orders are due next Sunday as well so we can get those in. So if you haven't gotten those in, please do that soon. Uh, first prayer request, please keep Rose Tyson in your prayers this week as she battles some health things. Uh, just keep her in mind, keep Gary in mind this week. Uh, also want to share with you that Donna Mackey did pass away this week on Thursday afternoon. Uh, please keep Steve and their children in your prayers. Keep her father in your prayers as, as they grieve her loss. Are there other announcements or other things to share with the congregation? Well, if not, I will invite you to take a moment to quiet your hearts and your minds and listen to the prelude as we prepare to worship. Congregation, I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord 
for this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to God's people on earth. Almighty God, your sovereign purpose brings salvation to birth. Give us faith to be steadfast amid the tumults of this world, trusting that your kingdom comes and your will is done through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. A reading from Daniel. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish, such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The word of the Lord. We'll read Psalm 16 responsively. Protect me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I have said to the Lord, You are my Lord, my good above all other. All my life is in the valley that are in the land, upon those who are noble, among the people. But those who run after other gods shall have their troubles multiplied. O oh Lord, you are my portion and my cup. It is you who uphold my lot. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. My heart teaches me night after night. I have set the Lord always before me, because I will not be 
My heart, therefore, is glad, and my spirit, it rejoices. My body also shall rest in hope. You will show me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our second reading is from Hebrews. Every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Mark. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones, what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, 
and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Children, I invite you to come forward. Of our readings this morning have to do with what we in the church call, this is a big word, the apocalypse. Right? And so this word apocalypse means an unveiling of something, taking off a veil. All right, so I have a sort of veil on this thing that I'm holding. Do you have any guess as to what this is? A statue of some sort? Yeah, good. Any idea? Yeah, there's something right at the bottom. You got that. I didn't veil it good enough, did I? Any ideas? No, of course not. You can't really guess because it's veiled, right? It's covered up. You can't see it. You can't see through it. All right. But when I take the veil off, you're going to know what it is, right? All right. So what is it? It's Brutus, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was veiled. You couldn't see Brutus because I had him covered up. Well, the Bible has different parts that talk about the apocalypse. And apocalypse means taking that cover off, taking the unveiling off. And what we're getting at is seeing the world as it really is, right? Seeing what's behind the scenes, knowing the truth. And so in our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus tells us the truth of something. He says that the truth is that all of the great things in the world, big buildings, all of the things that people have built, they're not going to last forever. Right? So what we do doesn't last forever, but what lasts forever is what God does. Right? The truth behind the veil is everything that God does. Right? So in your own life, right, it's not so much about you and all the things you succeed in doing, and changing the world. But what matters the most is what God is doing in and through you. Right? And so we don't live for the external things of the world. We don't live to make people say, wow, you're so great. Rather, we live knowing that God is working through us. Right? It's God behind the scenes for us. All right, let's pray. Lord, show us that you love us and that you are working in us. Help us, Lord, to follow you and not the praises of this world. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we began our church year last year, that first Sunday of Advent, reading from Mark chapter 13 and hearing about the coming of Christ. Well, now as the church year end is approaching, as our days are getting shorter, our lives are adapting to the cold and the wind and the snow and the darkness, we hear again about the end. We hear again from Jesus in Mark 13, and this chapter of Mark is often called the Little Apocalypse. 
But apocalypse doesn't really mean the end of the world. It's not necessarily a synonym for a second coming, or for chaos, or for final judgment, or tribulation, or anything like that. Apocalypse, as I said in the children's sermon, it literally means unveiling. It's a Greek word. The Latin translation of apocalypse is revelation. You hear veil in there. It's the removal of the veil. So on a cosmic scale, the apocalypse is kind of like the end of the Wizard of Oz. Right? If you remember the Wizard of Oz, Toto, the little dog, rips the curtain. And we see that the great wizard is just a man the whole time. Well, the apocalypse here is that Jesus is revealing to us something about the world. He is pulling the curtain back and letting us see something that the world would otherwise hide from us. And so to begin to see what Jesus is revealing to us and what he's getting at, we have to kind of set the scene for our gospel reading. So at the end of Mark chapter 12, right before this morning's reading, Jesus is teaching in the temple. And so he and his disciples are sitting by the treasury, and they're watching who is putting in the offering in the treasury of the temple. And so they notice that many rich people are coming by and they're throwing in great sums of money. And then they see a widow put in two small coins worth about a penny. And Jesus says that the widow has put more into the treasury than all the others combined because she has been generous out of her poverty. <clears throat> well, that story is an unveiling Jesus is showing us that what we think we see in the world is not correct. Right, we tend to think about big numbers, great quantities. Those are the important things in the world. Right, in our world, in our world, a rich person who gives a big sum of money to an institution, to a university, they're likely to get his or her name put on a building. That's important. In the reality of the kingdom of God, however, the generosity of the heart is definitive. It's not just about the amount given. And so rich and poor alike both have the capacity to be generous. And in that way, they have impacts on the work of the kingdom. Well, as Jesus and his disciples begin to leave the temple in Mark 13, what we see this morning, we again see a contrast. The disciples point out to Jesus how impressive the temple structure is. They say, look, teacher, what large stones, what large buildings. Well, throughout the Gospel of Mark, there's a trope, there's a storyline that the disciples are clueless. They never get it. They're always kind of dumb. And so they've been with Jesus for quite some time now. They've heard his teachings, seen his miracles, and they don't get it. So here they point out to Jesus the great architecture of the temple. Now, if you've spent time reading the Gospels, what do you expect Jesus to say here? Do you expect Jesus to look at the temple and say, wow, yeah, that's impressive, right? Do they expect Jesus to stand there and all and say, yeah, wow, these stones are really great. That's impressive, isn't it? Well, of course not. By now, the disciples should have figured out that Jesus is really just not that impressed with the external things of this world. He's not concerned with power and authority and grandeur, the things that captivate those of us who are caught up in the world's way of thinking. In fact, then, Jesus assures them that not one of those great stones is going to remain intact. It's all going to be destroyed, all cast aside. And so this continues to be for the disciples and for us, the revelation that Christ shows us. 
The difficulty then in Mark 13 comes in the next section. The disciples again misinterpret Jesus. The disciples believe that Jesus says the great temple structure will be destroyed because he's going to build a bigger and better one. He's going to build something greater than Solomon's temple. He's going to build something that will make all of Israel's enemies marvel. And we see this misunderstanding being shared with the crowds because later on when Jesus is arrested and he's standing before the council in his trial, they bring forth witnesses who say, oh, we heard Jesus say that he's going to destroy the temple with his hands and in three days he's going to build another with his hands. Well, throughout the whole gospel, the crowds and the disciples, they keep missing the point. And here they miss the point again. They keep believing that Jesus is claiming something political, something revolutionary, something in their terms. They believe that Jesus is claiming he's going to physically destroy the temple and physically build a new one. They have missed the unveiling. The unveiling that Jesus is showing us that God is bringing about his kingdom in an entirely different way. With this misunderstanding in mind, they asked Jesus, tell us, when will this be, and what will be the signs that all these things are about to be accomplished? And so we often read that thinking the disciples are asking about the end of the world or about the second coming. But that's not quite what they're asking. Instead, they want to know when Jesus is going to get down to real business. Right? Enough of this teaching stuff, enough of these little miracles. Jesus, when are you going to knock down this temple? When are you going to set up your own building? When are you going to use all of this power to kick out the bad guys? When are you going to be the Messiah that we know you are? And Jesus, of course, never answers them. He doesn't answer them because they don't even understand the question that they're asking. They still imagine Jesus to be the Messiah of their fantasies, not the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And so instead of answering their question directly, Jesus paints a picture for them of what it will mean to be a disciple in the coming age. Jesus says many will come and claim to be the Christ, and that the disciples then should not be led astray. In other words, Jesus is telling the disciples that many are going to come and offer a kind of false hope. Many will come draped in the curtains of the world, veiling the true message of Christ, and they're going to try to get the disciples to believe a lie. He says there'll be war, rumors of war, there'll be famines. In other words, Jesus is countering their false notions of what it will mean to be a disciple. The disciples are sitting there imagining prosperity, they're imagining a time of perfect peace. They imagine a time when they will have status and power and authority and everyone will listen to them. And Jesus says, no. Instead, there will continue to be wars. There will continue to be suffering. In fact, the disciples themselves will face persecution, trial, death. None of this is what they imagine being a disciple of the Christ is all about. God is unveiling something to them about who he is, about how he makes himself known in the world. A couple years ago, I read an article of a well-known TV evangelist, a televangelist, where he asked his followers for over $50 million. And he told them, I really believe that if Jesus was physically on earth today, he would not ride a donkey. 
he'd be in an airplane preaching the gospel all around the world. And so this evangelist, he wanted $50 million for his own airplane that he imagined Jesus would be riding in. Well, if you turn on the television and find any random televangelist, made-for-TV preacher, there's a good chance you're going to hear that same message boiled down. Pray, and God will give you a great career. Right? Send money to me, and you're going to have a flawless marriage. You're going to have all kinds of blessings. You'll have material abundance. Right? And some might even suggest that if you pray hard enough, you might get your own private jet and be able to zip around the world as you wish. That kind of message receives a pretty big audience. But at its heart, it's a lie. It's the same lie that the disciples hold on to as they look at and they marvel at the size of the temple. But then again, what's wrong with that message? On the face of it, it seems like God, who is good, who is love, might want us to be materially comfortable. It doesn't seem too far-fetched to think that God would want us to enjoy lavish material pleasures. Heaven's described as a city of gold, right? And I know that we would all feel loved if God gave us our own private jets. What Christ reveals to us, though, is that real power, real joy, real comfort, is going to be found somewhere else. Jesus tells the disciples that the kingdom is coming in a way that they're not imagining. The kingdom will be evident not in the splendor of the world, but it will become evident precisely when the world is at its worst. But this we know to be true, because when the world around us is at its worst, we have the opportunity to witness most powerfully to the good news of the cross. We get to tell the world that the Son of God has joined them in their suffering. We get to preach that God has forgiven us, and in forgiving us that he's made us new creatures with new opportunities, with healed relationships. We get to pour out our lives for the sake of one another in this broken world. And if the world's not a mess, then for so many of us, the message will ring hollow in our ears. The gospel is good news to those who understand that the world is broken, and that those who know that there's no lasting hope in the things of this world, the gospel can ring as the best news to an addict who's hit rock bottom, to the sinner who knows just how they've made a mess of things, that's where the good news is. Later in Mark 13, just past our reading this morning, Jesus says the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now we imagine that as some kind of end of the world melting, and maybe it is, but in the ancient world, the sun and the moon and the stars were the means of telling directions. Travelers navigated by the stars. Right? They didn't get to carry around phones with GPS in their pockets like we do. And just imagine how many of us would struggle traveling without Google Maps. But Jesus is saying here that your Google Maps will be broken. You won't have the sun or the stars or a GPS to direct you. Rather, you'll have something new to direct you. You'll, navig you'll navigate with a new reference point. And that new reference point for the disciples and for us is the cross. Right? It's not the large stones of the temple. It's not the great buildings. But our new reference point is the cross. 
The cross is the apocalyptic event that defines all else. Because at the cross, God is fully unveiled to us. We see that God is defined by love. We see that God is the one who pours himself out for us. God does not show himself first to us through large stones of the temple, to the grandeur of this world. He does not show himself to us in wealth. But God shows himself through his son who was crucified. That's what's revealed to us. God has shown us that the driving force in this world is self-giving love. This is why the widow gives more than all the rich men in the temple. This is why the size of the stones of the temple aren't impressive to Jesus. The church is not meant to be defined by its wealth and status in this world. It was always meant to be a witness to the cross in this hostile world. And it's in this world that the cross must guide us because it's there and only there that the love of God is known to us. Amen.
Together, let us stand and confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. We thank you, O Lord, our God and Father, for all of your goodness. We praise you especially for the everlasting covenant you have made with us through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that every good work we do would be pleasing in your sight for his sake. Lord, in your mercy. Preserve your church throughout the world and keep us ready at all times for your son's return. Lead us to proclaim with zeal his coming to the ends of the earth. Lord, in your mercy. Bless all pastors and ministers that they may preach the pure doctrine of God's saving word, which will never pass away. Give faith to all who hear that in Christ they may have the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, in your mercy. Uphold all in authority, especially Joseph, our president, and our Congress, Richard Michael, our governor, and the legislature of this state, and all judges. Graciously enable them to lead according to your will and for the good of your people. Lord, in your mercy. Renew all veterans in mind and body. Help them find ways to use their talents and inspire others by their service and dedication. Strengthen and enrich all ministries and services that assist veterans who struggle with the weight of their vocations. May the men and women who have served in combat be graced with your presence and love. Lord, in your mercy. We give you thanks, Holy Lord, for the fruits of the earth provided by your hand. Supply the needs of all who grow, process, and distribute our food, and move us to share these gifts with our neighbors in their time of need. Lord, in your mercy. Behold the sick and the infirm, the dying, and all who are in need, especially Jim, Carla, Kara, Chuck, Nancy, Maddox, Tom, Troy, Donald, Ray, Amanda, Dwight, John, Deb, Marilyn, Rose, Tony, and Carolyn, Carolyn, Jane, and those who this morning are mourning the loss of Donna. Grant them healing of body and patience to endure their afflictions and comforts in their troubles. Lord, in your mercy. Receive our praise for the faithful lives of the saints who have preceded us in death, especially our sister Donna. With all of your saints, bring us faithfully to the day of our resurrection. Lord, in your mercy. Grant these and all of our petitions, O God, for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 
Amen. Now the peace of the Lord be with you always. I invite you to share signs of God's peace. Merciful Father, we offer with joy and thanksgiving what you have first given us, ourselves, our time, and our possessions, signs of your gracious love. Receive them for the sake of him who offered himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen.
Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks.